In your Bibles tonight, uh, congregation, we would encourage you to turn to the gospel according to John, John chapter 1, from which we'll be reading verses 1 through 18. In your pew Bible, you can find this uh, reference on page 1,220. After we read from the Scriptures, we'll also be reading from the Heidelberg Catechism, Lord's Day 6. And in your Forms and Prayers book, you can find that section on page 206. Uh, So we turn our attention to the reading of the Word of God given by inspiration, a word which is infallible and inerrant, which is authoritative for our doctrine, that is what we believe, and also our life, that is what we do. Uh, We read this evening from John 1, verses 1 through 18. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him nothing was made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. This man came for a witness to bear witness of the light, that all through him might believe. He was not that light, but was sent to bear witness of that light. That was the true light which gives light to every man coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, and the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own did not receive him. But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, to those who believe in his name, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the Word became flesh. And dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness of him and cried out, saying, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me is preferred before me, for he was before me, and of his fullness we have all received, and grace for grace. For the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has seen God at any time. The only begotten Son who is in the bosom of the Father, He has declared Him. Thus far our reading from the Scriptures. We then turn to Lord's Day 6 of the Heidelberg Catechism. And question 16 begins by asking, Why must the mediator be a true and righteous man? And the answer, because God's justice requires that human nature, which has sinned, must pay for its sin. But a sinner could never pay for others. Question 17, why must he also be true God? And the answer is so that by the power of his divinity, he might bear in his humanity the weight of God's wrath and earn for us and restore to us righteousness and life. Question 18, then who is this mediator, true God, and at the same time a true and righteous man? And the answer, our Lord Jesus Christ who was given to us for our complete deliverance and righteousness. Question 19, how do you come to know this? And the answer the Holy Gospel tells me. God himself began to reveal the gospel already in paradise. Later he proclaimed it by the holy patriarchs and prophets and foreshadowed it by the sacrifices and other ceremonies of the law. And finally, he fulfilled it through his only beloved Son. A congregation of the Lord Jesus Christ, 
Uh, you perhaps will remember that from time to time, I begin our sermons with an introduction that acknowledges something that I was taught in seminary when it comes to sermon preparation. Now, we were taught many things in regards to sermon preparation, but one of the things we were taught is that, of course, in dependency upon the Holy Spirit, but you ought to have a goal for your sermon. Not that you yourself can obtain that goal, but in dependency on the Holy Spirit, you ought to have a, a goal, that which you pray is accomplished, and that which you hope is accomplished in the hearts and in the lives of the congregants. And from time to time, I find it helpful to share with you from the outset the goal for our sermon. Now, we have a twofold goal this evening as we consider the mediator of the Lord Jesus Christ. The first goal, and these two are related, the first goal is that you and I might come to know who Jesus Christ is in His person, and perhaps come to know with greater understanding who He is. One of the dangers, I believe, of the Advent season, although there are many things to be thankful for of the Advent season, but one of the dangers that I believe we have to be on guard against is the danger of just sort of a sentimental superficiality to this season. You know, just kind of the external wrapping paper around the Advent season. Now, boys and girls, maybe you've anticipated receiving some presents later this month. Maybe the presents are already there underneath the, uh, the tree or wherever uh, in your home the presents place themselves. But imagine for a moment that you have a present, and it's nicely wrapped, but after you open it up, it's just an empty box. I suppose you would be very disappointed. I mean, the wrapping paper is nice, but you want something in that box. I fear that perhaps in such a context as we live in, there's the danger of this superficial, just kind of externalism. Very nice wrapping paper when it comes to the Christmas season. But the danger is that there might perhaps be very little of an understanding of who the person of Jesus Christ is within the box of our mind and in the box of our heart. I mentioned two goals interconnected. Uh, the secondary goal, although no less of importance, would be that you and I would also come to an understanding and an increasing conviction about how we know who Jesus Christ is. Now, this is a concern that I have for all of us, myself included, but a concern that I especially have for our young people and our children. I don't simply want you to know who Jesus Christ is. I want you to know how you know who Jesus Christ is. And I say that because we're growing and living in a time that is characterized by postmodernism. And you don't have to worry about that word too much, but we live in a day and in an age that celebrates doubt and uncertainty. And a day and in an age in which those who have a sense of religious conviction, those who say, I know who Jesus Christ is, we will be challenged. And there will be many who will say that they know much, much more than you do. And they will challenge 
and ask, how can you be so sure that you know who Jesus Christ is? And when those challenges come, my prayer and my desire for all of us, but especially you young people, is that you would firmly take your stand upon the Word of God and say, I know who Jesus Christ is based upon His self-revelation, that it is contained within the Word of God. And so with those goals in mind, we turn our attention this evening to this theme, deliverance, or you might use a synonymous term, salvation, redemption, but deliverance by a mediator. And we'll notice, first of all, the requirements of a mediator, and then secondly, the name of the mediator, and then thirdly, the knowledge of the mediator. So deliverance or redemption or salvation by a mediator, the requirements, the name, and the knowledge. Uh, and it's interesting, providentially, that we come to Lord's Day 6 during the Advent season leading up uh, to our commemoration of the Incarnation. Uh, we mentioned last week, Sunday, that Advent is simply the uh, arrival of a person of prominence. And the Advent season includes then the anticipation and the expectation of the arrival of that person of prominence. And that person of prominence is, of course, Jesus Christ. And the incarnation and that word which we use in our theology just simply means the word becoming flesh. So the divine nature, eternal divine nature, in the fullness of time took unto himself a very real human nature. But why? Now that gets us into our first point, the requirements of the mediator. And I have to uh, perhaps give a note of warning that especially in this first point, where we do go through uh, some deep theological waters. Uh, I'll seek to take us step-by-step uh, step gradually. I would encourage that if you are a note-taker, uh, that you take uh, notes diligently. And of course, if you have any questions uh, or would like to discuss these matters further, uh, we are readily accessible, either by phone or by email or in person. There are primarily two requirements for the mediator who is able to accomplish our salvation. The first requirement concerns the natures of the mediator. The second requirement concerns the person of the mediator. And notice very carefully the plural natures and the singular person. The mediator, who is Jesus Christ, the one only mediator, for there is only one mediator between God and man, the man Jesus Christ. The mediator who is able to accomplish our salvation must have two real natures, united together yet distinct from one another. And many an ancient heresy made shipwreck concerning the faith regarding these natures. So first of all, the mediator must possess a very real divine nature, fully God. And that's exactly who Jesus Christ is, fully God. Uh, we see that indicated uh, by John in his opening uh, account there in verse 1. In the beginning was the Word and the Word, and this is all referring, of course, to the person of the Lord Jesus Christ, because later verse 14 tells us the Word became flesh. But in verse 1, John begins by focusing upon the divinity of the Lord Jesus Christ, a truth that we can never compromise. And we notice that this Word was with God, and the Word was God. 
We notice also this morning in Isaiah 9, verse 6, as it was used as a text of pardon, and then also as some of the high school readers read Isaiah 9's prophecy concerning the coming Savior, uh, that His name would be called Mighty God. And when we look at the person of the Lord Jesus Christ, we see that He exercises works that only the divine nature can exercise, that of creation. And in His earthly ministry, we see our Lord Jesus Christ performing miracles, Uh, We also see the giving unto Him, uh, the worship that is worthy, only God alone. And uh, when saints fall down before angels, the angels so often say to them, don't do that. Don't worship the angelic beings. But when individuals fall down and seek to worship the Lord Jesus Christ, He never rebukes them, but He appropriately receives such divine worship. And so on the basis of these grounds, we can be absolutely convinced that our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ possessed from all of eternity the fullness of the divine nature, being co-equal, being co-eternal, being co-essential with the Father and the Spirit, who all three are together glorified and worshipped by us. And so mark it down on your minds and in your hearts, and especially you young people, the first thing you must know about Jesus Christ is that He is fully God. And there has never been a time which the Father existed apart from Him. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit have eternally existed together as the one true triune God. And our mediator must have this divine nature in order to uphold the human nature as the human nature pays the penalty of our sin. And not only that, Our mediator must have the divine nature in order that the divine nature might apply the salvation that is accomplished under the hearts of those who by nature are dead in sins and in trespasses. For who can bring life out of death but only God? Well, thanks be to God that our mediator is fully God. But not only fully God, also in the fullness of time. And when we use that phrase taken from Galatians, we refer to the fact that while Jesus Christ has an eternal divine nature, which He continues to have even now, uh, unchanged, He also, upon the conception that was produced by the Virgin Mary, or rather by the Holy Spirit upon the Virgin Mary, that at that moment Jesus Christ also possessed a very real human nature. And what are the constitutional elements of a human nature? What makes a human nature? There are two elements. United together, of course, there is a unity. But we speak of a body and we speak of a soul. And Jesus Christ, according to His human nature, had both. We know this, of course, because we see the descriptions of His human body. And we know that as we make our way through the Gospel narratives, we will read of His human body. Also suffering. Nails will pierce his human body. A sword will pierce his human body. A crown of thorns will be placed upon his human body. His human body will be taken down from the cross and will be laid into the tomb. And his human body will emerge triumphantly from that tomb. But we also know, based on the authority of the Holy Scriptures, that he possessed and possesses still today a very real soul, a human soul. For he says in his high priestly prayer, now my soul is exceedingly troubled. And these two constitutional elements of the human nature, a very real 
human body and a very real human soul are possessed by our mediator so that he might satisfy for the sins of human beings. Because God's justice is just that, just. The soul that sins shall die. The nature that offends God's righteousness must also satisfy God's righteousness. Uh, That's in part why the blood of bulls and goats can never proclaim it is finished. Yes, in the Old Testament dispensation, that blood could point forward to the coming work of the Lord, Savior Jesus Christ, but it's only the person of Jesus Christ with His divine nature and His human nature that can proclaim triumphantly uh, from the cross, it is finished. And so these two very real human natures. And so when we are asked or when we contemplate who is Jesus Christ, we must begin thinking this way. He is eternal God and yet a real man. Like us in all points with one exception, one necessary exception, he's sinless. Theologians call this the impeccability of Jesus Christ. He's without sin. And he's without sin, of course, because he is the eternal Son of God, but he is without sin so that he might be the spotless Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. And yet, while we speak about the two natures, we also hasten on to indicate that he is one person. He is only one individual existence. And in our day, and we restrain ourselves from going down uh, the bunny trails of pronouns, but in our day, uh, there is so much confusion about pronouns, but you'll notice that in the Scriptures, and this is also true, of course, in the original languages, uh, that the pronouns that refer to Jesus Christ are what we call singular pronouns. He refers, and the Bible refers to Himself as just that, I, a singular person, And all of the grammatical confusion that flows out of the political ideology of our day is completely foolishness, especially when you consider the person of Jesus Christ. He is not two persons, but one person. And so he says, I go to my Father. And he says, I will come again. And there are certain passages that allude more to his divine nature, and there are certain passages that allude more to his human nature, but no matter what the passage, it always refers to a singular person. And this also is vital, this also is necessary, and it can be explained in this way. When you ask yourself, who is that upon the cross? The answer, of course, is that's the person of Jesus Christ, one person, And if you ask yourself what natures are upon the cross, the answer is both natures. The human nature is suffering, but the divine nature is withholding, upholding rather, the human nature as the human nature suffers. But both natures are present in the one person, uh, what we call theologically the hypostatic union. And this takes place as we read in John 1 verse 14, the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. That verse, congregation, means to be more than just a verse that is put on the front of our Christmas greeting cards. That verse needs to be a verse by which we live and by which we die. The Word, the eternal Son of God, became flesh took our human nature upon himself, body and soul, and dwelt among us. Emmanuel, God with us, 
in the person of Jesus Christ. And that indeed in our second point is the name of the mediator. Uh, But we first need to do a little bit of background about the concept of a mediator. And you'll notice perhaps as we go forward that the theological waters become somewhat not as deep, somewhat shallower, not shallow, but shallower. But I want to be clear on what a mediator is. A mediator is a person who is appointed and qualified to bring about reconciliation between two parties, two persons that are at opposition. I I say that a mediator is a person, the person of Jesus Christ, who is appointed by the Father in the eternal decree of election and also qualified by the Holy Spirit especially upon the incarnation and then the subsequent baptism of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. You'll notice that when you read the account of the gospel, when the Holy Spirit comes upon Jesus Christ, equipping him in his person with the divine and the human natures united together, that the Holy Spirit then leads Jesus Christ in the fulfillment of his prophetic office. And so there is the involvement of all three persons in the accomplishment of our reconciliation. And the requirements uh, for the mediator is that he must be anointed and qualified to be our Savior. And I desire for myself and I desire for all who hear these words that the name Jesus and the title Christ would become richer and more beautiful to us every year. I say the title Christ because that is just what it is, a title, the anointed one. Appointed as the one only mediator, qualified as the one only mediator. And here so often, if we are honest, we take this name, this title upon our lips so lightly and tritely. But when we really pause and contemplate the wealth of theology that is included in that title, Christ, our hearts really ought to, in humility, rejoice. And then when you add the name Jesus he will save his people from their sins. This title and name summarizes the work of the mediator. He is the person who is appointed and qualified to save. To save from what? To save from sin, to save from wrath, to save from condemnation, to save to what? To save to reconciliation so that we might say through the Prince of Peace, we have peace with God. And that, dear congregation, is the essence of the Christian proclamation in the Advent season and when it's not the Advent season. Uh, To quote uh, one Reformed forefather in writing upon this Lord's Day, he says, it is of utmost importance for us and for all men that we have a true and thorough knowledge of the person of this precious mediator and deliverer. And so I ask you tonight, do you have that true knowledge of the person of this precious mediator and deliverer? Do you know who Jesus Christ is? Perhaps there's a set of ears who hears this question and you are a skeptic. Maybe you have drunk and are drinking deeply from the wells of uncertainty 
that is so celebrated by our society. Maybe you wear it as a badge of honor upon your sleeve of academic excellence that you are convinced that you know nothing for certain. To you especially, I say you can know something for certain. And you must know something for certain. Now I readily admit that I am not a very knowledgeable man in many, many, many a field. But this I know. I know who Jesus Christ is. The eternal Son of God. Who in the fullness of time became man. One person who suffered for our salvation. And yet you might say, how can you be so certain of this knowledge? You don't have academic degrees. You don't have a position of prominence in some university. There's many, many a book that you haven't read, many, many a podcast you haven't listened to, many, many a pundit that you haven't given careful attention to. How can we know this? And, and think about what's at stake. You know, I readily admit my ignorance on a lot of matters, but many of those matters are inconsequential to me. And you also. I can't begin to explain many of the phenomenon that is found in the sciences. But when it comes time for me to leave earth and enter into eternity, what will that really matter? Sometimes I have a difficult time just getting my lawnmower started. My knowledge is so limited. But again, when my days are numbered, and I prepare to face the Almighty God, what will that matter? But this I know, who Jesus Christ is. And young people especially, you need to know who Jesus Christ is, and you need to know how you know who He is. And the answer is simple. Look at question 19. How do you come to know this? And the answer the Holy Gospel tells me. The Holy Gospel tells me. The word gospel is the good news, the proclamation of the good news. And you'll notice that we have the gospel according to John open in our Bibles. And you have the gospel according to Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And these not differing gospels. These are the one and the same gospel as Mark has it, is ultimately the gospel of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. It is the proclamation of the good news of who He is and of what He has done. But we might, we might give different words, the same essence of the answer. How do you come to know this? The Word of God. God Himself tells me. God Himself reveals to me. Well, where does He reveal this? In dreams and visions? In some types of unexplainable spiritual experiences? No, in His Word. If you look back, uh, just for a moment, uh, to the conclusion of John's writings, after he has written uh, many, many a verse and many, many uh, a chapter, and of course the verses and chapters weren't there originally, but if you just simply glance back 
uh, to what John writes in John chapter 21. Uh, He acknowledges in verse 25, and there are also many other things that Jesus did, which if they were written one by one, I suppose that even the world itself could not contain the books that would be written. So he acknowledges uh, that there is much that has been done by the Lord Jesus Christ that's not written down. And what will happen is higher critics and skeptics will say, see, the revelation is incomplete. But here's my encouragement to you, especially to young people. Bank your faith upon what's stated in John 20, verse 30 and 31. Truly, certainly, Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples which are not written in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ. And remember what Christ means. The one who is anointed qualified, the one who is appointed to be the mediator. So why did the Holy Spirit inspire John along with Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and all of the other gospel writers, whether it be in Genesis or whether it be in Isaiah? And there was a wonderful thread. Uh, The uh, Christmas program committee did such an excellent job weaving all of these prophecies together throughout the entire History of redemption. They all speak of who Jesus Christ is and what He will do. And why were these given? So that you and I might know. Might know something for certain. And might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. And then notice the result of that believing. And that believing you may have life in His name. The uncertainty of the skeptics will never bring life. They may congratulate themselves in their lack of knowledge, but people are destroyed for a lack of knowledge. But by contrast, you and I, and for many of us, this is true, is it not? From our youngest days, we had the gospel. Those of you who are older, do you remember the first time you heard or read the narrative of the Incarnation? You probably don't remember the first time, and why is that? Because the first time, you probably were just an infant in your mother's arms. And maybe the second time, you were a little bit bigger toddler on your father's knee. And maybe the third time, still hardly able to consciously acknowledge what was going on. Maybe then you heard uh, the gospel story explained uh, while you sat next to your grandmother or your grandfather. And day after day, year after year, in the home and in the school and especially through the preaching of the Word, and then as you grew a little older, you went to Sunday school and catechism class, and year after year, parents, teachers, Elders, Sunday school and catechism teachers, gospel ministers came and stood before you with all of their shortcomings. Yes, we readily acknowledge that. But with all of their shortcomings, they explained to you the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. They said, this is who Jesus Christ is, the eternal Son of God, who by the powerful work of the Holy Spirit upon the Virgin Mary 
also became the Son of Man. And why did all of this take place? So that you may believe, that you may know, and knowing you may trust with absolute certainty that Jesus Christ is the one only mediator. Amen. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for the gift of your Son, our Lord and our Savior, and we thank you also for the gift of the knowledge of who Jesus Christ is. And we ask now that you, by your Spirit, would do only that which you can do to give us the assurance of conviction, uh, that we might stand fast upon the testimony of Holy Scripture, and that we might make our way through time and into eternity acknowledging with humility that there are many mysteries of which we do not understand. But this we know, that the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and that that Word, Jesus Christ, is full of grace and of truth, and that by believing in Him, we have eternal life. Thanks be to God. Amen.